Let us pray. So, Father, even now, come among us by your Spirit. Do your good work in us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you here. Um, had a wonderful vacation. And um, it was hot in California, but I am experiencing the difference between a dry heat and muggy heat. And I found that out very quickly when I got back, like the moment I stepped off the plane. Um, but so good to see all of you. And I did have two refreshing weeks of vacation. Tammy and Eliana are still out there for a few more days. And Eliana is making multiple trips to the beach. So um, I do want to take a moment before I dive into our sermon today just to express my appreciation to our, our staff. Um, I, I have to tell you, to be able to go away and not worry about things being taken care of and handled well um, is an incredible blessing, and it's not something that I want to ever take for granted, but to all of our staff, um, I want to express a hearty thank you. So my sermon today will be in a little bit different form than is the norm for me. As after several months of discernment, I believe the Lord is leading me to do an extensive preaching series through the book of Ephesians. And this is something I've, I've prayed about. I've spent a lot of time giving thoughtful prayer to and also have talked with several folks I very much respect about this. And I've intentionally waited until we entered this season on the church calendar known as Ordinary Time or Trinity Tide so that we can have as much continuity as possible. Ordinary Time, just so you know, or Trinity Tide, the liturgical color is green. And the reason for that, green represents pastures and feeding the flock of God. And this series from Ephesians, that's very much what it is intended to do. I want to also wait until I got back from vacation. The Ordinary Time began. Um, two Sundays after Pentecost, but um, I wanted to wait until I got back from vacation. Com to be completely upfront, I don't have a set ending date for this series. We're going to take the book of Ephesians step by step, and some weeks we may look at a larger passage of Scripture, and there may be some weeks where we look at two or three verses on a given Sunday. So be prepared. We may have New Testament readings that um, repeat the same reading for a week or two at different times. If we need to take a break for specific days on the church calendar later on in the, in the season of going through the book, we will. You may, to, you may ask why Ephesians and why Ephesians at this time in the life of All Saints Church? Well, first, this is what God has said to do. That's, that's the most important thing. But second, Ephesians is an incredibly rich book. There are key themes in Ephesians and points of focus, which I believe God wants to speak to us from right here, right now in our context. Third, there are several things which I believe the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to us or will speak to us regarding this church family and our life together as believers from the book of Ephesians. And then finally, I believe that God will speak to us from Ephesians about reaching our community and how we as believers should relate to the world around us. So today is very introductory, but let's begin by exploring further the city, the culture, and the people of Ephesus. Then we will conclude by looking at some key themes of St. Paul's letter here as we get started. 
The city of Ephesus today is located near the western coast of Turkey. It is about four miles inland from the coast. However, in St. Paul's day, Ephesus was a seaport, albeit a shallow one. And through the centuries, the accumulation of silt and sediment closed off the harbor, and Ephesus gradually became a landlocked city as it is today. At the time of the writing of this epistle, Ephesus was also the provincial or the regional capital. And much like Corinth that we've talked about in less detail, but a little bit in recent weeks based on our lectionary readings from 2 Corinthians, um, Ephesus, like Corinth, was both a seaport and a provincial capital. And like Corinth, Ephesus was a cosmopolitan city, if you will. You had this mixing of cultures and, and people from all over the world. And the Ephesian believers were confronted with many of the same kinds of issues and challenges as the church at Corinth was. Ephesus being in Asia Minor had some of the richest soil in that part of the world. Ephesus where it was located was a gateway to the Silk Road. So you had Asian influence coming west toward Ephesus. And you had trade with Ephesus being a seaport with all of what was known as ancient Europe and the Mediterranean. So you also had these influences from further to the west and to the south as well. Ephesus was the center for trade and an interface with people from all different sorts of cultures. Think about Asia and the Far East and the Mediterranean and further north in Europe. All of this coming together right here in Ephesus because of the nature of the economy and physical location of that city. Ephesus was also a significant religious center, a pagan religious center. And there were two primary areas of pagan influence in Ephesus. First, you had the cult of Artemis. Artemis was the Greek or Olympian goddess of hunting and wild animals. Worship of Artemis was also prevalent in Corinth. Again, another parallel. But there was a temple of Artemis in Ephesus, regarded as one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. And this temple, without going into great detail, was entirely run by female officials and priests. And if you know anything about the ancient Near East, you know what goes along with that in so-called temple worship. Also, pagan figurines and trinkets of gold and silver and, and wood were, were sold throughout the city. It was a big business. So for Paul to go to Ephesus and for these believers in Ephesus to preach the singular lordship of Jesus Christ clearly brought a conflict in this type of a setting. The gospel was an affront to both the pagan religious forces and the economic ones that were generated out of pagan worship that were all woven together. St. Paul had spent roughly three years in Ephesus, but at the time of the writing of this letter, he had been gone for seven years. Again, so he was there for three years, but then he wrote them about seven years later. We should also note that when Paul wrote this, and for about four years leading up to this letter, Paul was imprisoned. He was in chains. And Paul's gospel confrontation with the pagan forces while he was in Ephesus, and what that did in the lives of those believers and the ramifications of that were ongoing. But we read about some of those ramifications. If we back up for a second to Acts chapter 19, where, where Paul is there in Ephesus. And I want to read a portion of that, Acts 19, 23 through 34, for you. 
About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named, a man named Dimitri, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that the gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs who, found, who were friends of his sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And then the account carries on in terms of what happened. But there was a confrontation between the gospel and the forces of darkness. The second primary focus of pagan religion in Ephesus was the cult of the Roman of Roman emperor worship. And again, this was a point of conflict if you read through scriptures and you read early church history. This was a point of conflict for many Christians living within the Roman Empire. But the issue was especially pronounced in Ephesus because of the presence of a pagan Roman temple built specifically for the purpose of emperor worship. That temple was built in 29 BC and it was dedicated to the divine Julius Caesar. If you remember, things had developed in the Roman Empire to where there was a requirement that Roman citizens were supposed to worship Caesar as being divine. And certainly that was a point of conflict for believers, people who had come to faith in Christ, faith in the one true and living God. These Ephesians believers, with all of these wicked pagan influences swirling around them, these Christians had to decide every day if they were going to be set apart from all of these things or not. You need to remember most of the Christians in Ephesus, there was a small Jewish community, but most of the Christians in Ephesus were Gentile converts from paganism. And they, by God's grace and power, were working into living the Christian life in a practical way and separating themselves from these things of darkness all around them. And this very much relates to St. Paul's purpose in writing to them. So let's talk a little bit about the purpose and themes in this letter. It's essential to our understanding that we see some of the key themes in Paul's letter and his reasons for writing. So what are some of the themes? Well, the letter to Ephesians can be divided into two main sections. The first is chapters 1 through 3, 
which describe who the Ephesians are in Christ, who these Ephesians are as God has made them and continues to make them new creations in Christ Jesus. Paul writes in these chapters to establish for them and to bring clarity to who they are and their God-given identity, which is in Christ and not in the world around them. Then chapters 4 through 6 go into great detail regarding the ramifications and the lived reality of this identity and their testimony. What it means to live together as a community of believers. What it means in families. What it means in church leadership and governance. And what it means in terms of how they relate to the world all around them that is apart from Christ or outside of Christ. And Paul, appropriately for this this church surrounded by all of these things gives special emphasis to Christ's power and Christ's victory over the powers of wickedness, even in their midst. Just a little further along in Ephesians chapter one, verses 21 through 22, we read this referring to Christ far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. When I describe the Ephesian context, these Gentiles who've come to faith in Christ, can you see, even though we're 2,000 years removed, can you see how their context and their situation really isn't all that different than ours? Do you see that there's nothing new under the sun and the similarities and the struggles and the challenges that God's people's faced even in that day that we face in our day as well? From within and also from without and the darkness around us in a culture, in the culture. I like referring to Acts 19 and then subsequently to Ephesus in general, what Bishop N.T. Wright says Many of us in the West have lived quite comfortably with all these things in separate compartments, meaning the world, our faith, you know, and compartmentalizing those things. And everything, he continues, clinically wrapped up so that nothing can leak from one compartment to another. We are inclined to look at the riot in Ephesus, shudder, and thank God that we don't do things like that anymore. Really? We should think about the way in which wickedness gets a grip on a society somewhere down below its polite exterior and about the way in which sooner or later someone needs to take their courage in one hand and their Bible in the other, throw to the winds any caution about their own prospects and say what needs to be said. And we shouldn't miss either the way in which once again the gospel functions as a critique of all temples whether the Parthenon in Athens, the temple of Artemis in Ephesus, or even the temple in Jerusalem itself, and I might add the church of Jesus Christ as well. God calls us to be set apart for him regardless of how it may impact our earthly temporal prospects. Other things which we will look at in detail in Ephesians include unity, Union, first of all, being united with Christ. And then out of that unity among believers and in the church, we'll look at love. First, again, beginning in the right place, God's love for us. God's love for you and me. And then out of that, our love for Christ, 
and our love for our fellow believers. We'll look at Paul's authority as an apostle with which he writes. Paul writes with this special and unique authority of one who has personally and physically encountered the risen Christ. And we read about that in Acts chapter 9. Ephesians teaches us about God's grace and the power and, tr and transformation that comes about through God's grace. Ephesians teaches us about peace, peace with one another as believers, peace with Christ, peace with God through Jesus Christ. And, and Ephesians teaches us about the one and only source of these things, which is, who is, God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. There are also two images or metaphors which recur repeatedly throughout Ephesians to describe the church, to describe the church that God has won through himself for himself through Christ. The first language that's used six times in the book of Ephesians is Christ's body, that we are the body of Christ. And then secondly, the imagery that we are God's temple, the place where God himself dwells. Paul writes also to encourage the Ephesians because they are discouraged, not so much because of what's going on around them immediately in that context at the time, but they were discouraged because of Paul's lengthy time of imprisonment in chains and now his imprisonment in Rome, and we all know where that led, which is where he is writing to them from, from prison or being in chains in Rome. And Paul writes to them saying, they are to take heart, laying hold by God's power of Christ's surpassing power and who they are, who they are as new creations in Christ, despite the turmoil, despite the darkness around them, despite the threat of imprisonment. He writes to them that they are to live lives by God's grace, which fully reflects who Christ is, lives which fully reflect Christ's holy character in contrast to all that is around them. Their lives, and brothers and sisters, our lives, as we'll see in Ephesians, are to be governed by Christ. Our lives are to be governed by the fact that we are new creations in Christ Jesus and not by the pagan practices around us, the Ephesians were not to be governed by the pagan practices around them, and they weren't to be controlled. They weren't to be governed by them. These were things that they were governed by and they were controlled by before they came to Christ. But Christ has set them free and made them new creations, and now they are growing and living into that reality by God's grace. And God calls you and me to do, by his power, the very same thing, to live in the reality, into the reality of who we are as new creations in Christ, and day by day and step by step, be further and further decoupled from those forces of darkness that held us captive outside of Christ. Well, there's a lot to explore in the weeks ahead. And I want to mention, as we look at this too, as we look at Ephesians, the application of Paul's missionary strategy, which we see in play very much at Ephesus. Paul went to Ephesus because God led him there. But that strategy, but going there was strategic. Why? Well, remember again, we said that Ephesus was a cosmopolitan city. You had people from all different cultures and all different parts of the world. And so when Paul proclaimed the gospel in Ephesus and people came to a living faith in Christ, 
they then took the gospel out to all those regions. They took the gospel out on the Silk Road. They took the gospel across the Mediterranean. They took the gospel further into Europe. Do you see the parallel with where God has placed us as All Saints Church? Think about all of the different cultures represented right here in Dale City. People from all different nations of the world, all different cultures. And then we have the folks that are here serving in the military or here as government contractors who are going to be here for a season and then God's going to take them somewhere else in this country and in many cases take them across the world too. God has strategically placed us in what is a cosmopolitan location right here close to our nation's capital. And there's this cross-pollination of cultures and ideas and God's heart is that the gospel of Jesus Christ would permeate all of those things and that he would use us to proclaim the good news of Christ and then strategically that the gospel through the lives of people who have been touched by Christ would go out from even this place and around the world. There's so much, so much in Ephesians that applies to our context right here, right now with the darkness and the, the paganism and the unbelief and, and the belief and, and holding fast to temporal powers rather than the truth of Christ all around us. This is a word from the Lord for us today. About how to live, about how to be the body of Christ, how to be church and live out the truth of the gospel together and to live it out here in our community. So what I would like to do as I conclude this morning is take a few moments and I want to invite you to, to take a moment to pray with me. And I want to take some time and invite us, both individually and as a church family, to ask the Lord to open us to what he wants to do in us. How he wants to mold and shape us as we go through this study of Ephesians. And that God would give us his heart and his mind and that he would use this to form us. So would you just take a moment, perhaps you want to stretch out your hands and just take a moment to silently pray first, just opening yourself to whatever the Lord has for us. Would you do that with me? Father, we open ourselves to you. To the voice of truth. The voice of your word, the voice of your spirit. And Father, we ask that you would have your way among us in our lives, in our families, in this church, and in this community. Lord, use Ephesians, I pray, your word that is timeless, to speak to us, to challenge us, or to correct us, and by the power of your spirit to move us to who and what you are calling us to be. Lord, pour yourself into us. Fill us, Lord. That we would hear with eyes of the Spirit. That we would see with your eyes. And cast out in us, Lord, anything of the flesh that which would look at things through the temporal eyes of the flesh. 
that all that is seen and all that is heard in the days to come would be from you, your voice, your vision, and your heart. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.